Good morning. As most of you might know, my name is Lane Paul, and it is my uh, privilege and honor to be able to lead us this morning in the preaching of God's Word. And it's something I don't take lightly, and it's something that uh, I'm always extremely humbled by as the Word of God is. Uh, apt to do to our hearts. And this morning, I want to start with some uh, congregational interaction, if you will. I want you to raise your hands if you genuinely and truly enjoy your job, if you just love it, it's what you, you would not imagine you spending your time doing anything else. So raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, yes, yes, you do. Okay, okay. All right, so now I'm going to out the rest of us. How many of you guys work because there are bills to be paid? Ding, 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 ding. I would like to, I like the double hands, David. That's the reality of the situation, right? We, we work because there's, there's need. We can't live without work. We have to work to survive. And I've been debating on how to... Uh, present this message because I find it's, it's difficult sometimes for us to talk about work when, when most of us, the majority of us, when uh, we're employed. And so I was looking at the statistics from the U.S. labor force, and uh, if you don't know, the employment rates and numbers are all gauged by how many people are participating in the labor market. So if people haven't been... Uh, Stating that they're looking for a job, they are not listed in these labor force rates. So, but the sheer number of people that are unemployed is six and a half million people in the United States. Uh, people that have been long-term unemployed, which is 27 weeks or more, is 1.3 million people. The number for people not in the labor force, but they just want a job, it's 5.4 million people. In Arkansas alone, we have 43,000 people unemployed. In Sebastian County alone, there's a 3.6 unemployment rate. So it's easy for me to go, well, I don't, I don't know how to preach to people about working and, and how you, you're mooching off the church, you need to quit it, but I don't see where there's an issue. But when you look at the numbers, it's a real need that, that people really do not work, and there are people that really have need, that need to be filled with those needs, and that need help. And work is important. It's something that Christians should genuinely be concerned about, as the Apostle Paul tells us. So, if you would, open your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, as we are closing out our study in the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 6. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. 
but with toil and labor we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Would you join me in prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning as your people, Lord, gathered under the name of Jesus Christ. Father, where there's, there's hurt aplenty, God, there's need plenty, Lord, uh, we know that. God, I pray this morning that uh, you would be glorified in this message, God, that you would be worshipped in this preaching, God, that Christ would be made much of. God, I pray that everyone in this audience today, Lord, that knows somebody that's hurting, somebody that has need, Lord, that they would uh, love, that they would be kind to those people, Lord, that we would be able to help those that we see in need, and God, that uh, we would be able to reach out to our brothers who... uh, are in need, God, that we wouldn't be ashamed, that we would be, uh, God, that we would be selfless in giving ourselves to them. Father, we love you. We praise you. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. So there are a few texts that I would like to get in front of us to get our minds thinking a little bit about what the Bible has to say about work and idleness. And so I've got three scriptures from the Proverbs, if a uh, screen team could pull that up for me. So, Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Then we've got Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The Bible is not unclear about work. The Bible has a lot to say about work, how we should work, how we must work. And just a warning so that this message does not come off as merely pragmatic. This command that Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica, he couches it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning and the end of this paragraph in uh, your ESV Bible, you see that he opens and closes this paragraph with the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that we need to stop and understand and recognize and, and meditate on that fact that the command of the apostle with the authority of Jesus Christ to work is something we shouldn't take lightly. That the work that we do is something commanded by God. It's something that we do to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we do full well knowing that we do it for Him every single day, no matter how much we do or don't like our job, no matter what reason we do it for, what the ultimate reason should be because Jesus Christ has called us to provide, to work, to love those around us so that He would be glorified. And so, in verse 6, he starts with, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from any brother who was walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. He's commanding them to stay away from these, these people, these troublemakers, these people that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, these people that aren't doing anything, these idlers. He says, he commands the brothers to stay away from any brother. So the relation here already is these are people that are within the local church context. The people that he's talking to are probably the people that are hearing this letter read to them at the church of Thessalonica, the idlers. And so he says, brothers, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. He, he makes it clear, these people aren't strangers. These people are people that they know well. These are people that they care for. These are people that they love nearly and dearly to their hearts. And the contradiction or the contrast that he gives, he says is that you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. He says... We didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So this, this command that Paul gives to Christians is don't be idle. Do work. Don't be a burden to the church. Provide for the church. And so the, the main point of, of this sermon today is this, if I can find my notes right. <laughs> a gospel-centered church discourages idleness and encourages work. This is a hard message for me because I, I read this and there's a, there's a hard lesson to be learned by people that would take advantage of the church's resource and all the while, you love these people and you want them to grow. You want them to know how much you love them and you want to support them. But the relationship within the local church can be burdensome. And so, when we come to this text, when we, when we read what we are to do, what we shouldn't do, I think it's, it sticks out the most to me when I read this text. And Paul says... You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And these idlers, the people that were the problem at the church of Thessalonica, these were people that knew the apostle Paul. They would have seen his example. Well, there might be new people coming into the church they gave this command while, they were, that while Paul was with the church at Thessalonica. He said, uh, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
There were people causing problems then, and there are people causing problems now. The issue was that these people were getting in the way. They were idlers. They were busybodies. They were taking up the church's resources financially and the time. They didn't just get in the way of the, of the money of the church, but they were causing a burden, a stress on the leadership, on the, on the congregation. These people were wasting the resources of the church. They were becoming a burden. They were burdensome to the church, which is why Paul said, we saw the burden. We did not want to be a burden to you guys. So what did we do? We were an example. We worked. It wasn't easy work. He said, we toiled day and night. But it's not that they didn't have the right to do so. See, I've been thinking about the the doctrine of, of Christian providence, how everything that we have comes from God, first and foremost. But God uses us as his people as a means to ends. God calls us to work to share the gospel with people that Christ might be made much of on this earth. So in the same way, God calls us to work to provide for people that need it to lovingly give selflessly of ourselves to other people, to our local church. Christians provide for the needs of others because we know that God ultimately is the one who gives those things to us. And so in this passage, we see that the church of Thessalonica was giving, they were giving people what they needed. The church was giving people food and time. They had a real burden on their heart for a good reason. And yet, Paul says, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that we gave you when we were with you. The gospel message leaves no room for lazy hands, no room for idleness. God calls us to work, to do good work. While we are at work, while we are at home, God calls us to be the best Christian workers that we can be for His glory. And as we talk about Christian providence and Christian work, it's such a joy to read this text and to, and to think about how we have such faithful leaders in our own church. I mean, while Paul says we had every right to not work, to accept food from you guys, to accept resources from the church at Thessalonica, because gospel work is real work. Missionaries deserve real wages. Pastors deserve real wages. They do real work. And I could go on and on about how much Adam sacrifices for this church and how much I appreciate him and what he's done in my own life. But Adam gets paid for what he does, rightfully so. Pastors deserve their wages. Anybody that might say that ministry work deserves less than because they think that people, that pastors just do some ethereal, ivory tower, scholarly work is they, they don't know what a pastor does. 
Real gospel work is hard. It's painful. It takes time, effort, energy. It takes a soul-crushing amount of weight sometimes. You have to deal with real issues, real struggles. You see people dying, people hurting, people within your church in conflict. And all the while, anybody that would demean the office of pastor, they obviously have not read what the Bible has to say about work. Paul rightfully could have taken resources from the church of Thessalonica. He chose not to. Why? Because he didn't want to prove to be a bigger burden. There's this idea that um, I want to say John Piper, because that's who me and Adam had given this quote to, but I could never find the exact quote. So there, there's this idea of Christian giving and Christian work. There's these three levels of, of giving. You know, there's, there's the forefront. They're the people that work just to subsist. These are the people that just work to live. They don't care about where their money goes. They're just paycheck in, paycheck out. And you have the second level of people over here that say, okay, well, some of my money goes to the church and, and some of my money goes to, to work and, and the excess money that I make, it'll just go to whatever, whatever I want it to. I'll be a better worker if the opportunity arises, so be it, whatever. And, the, and, the, and this third level of mature Christian thought, mature Christian giving is, is I work so that I can give. My finances, my resources, my my time, my money, it all goes to God. The more that I work, it doesn't mean the more that I get to play. The more that I work, I do it for the glory of God. It's not that you don't get to enjoy your, the fruits of your labor, but your labor's not just for you. What you have was given to you by God so that you could do good for Him, so that you could accomplish His purpose in you. Christian work is hard. Christian work is work so that we can work for God and that we can love people. As Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good. In your work, Christian, do good work. And when it gets tiresome, when it feels like you're getting stepped on, when it feels like everybody's trampling on you, taking advantage of your generosity... Don't grow weary in doing good. I want to backtrack because I missed this, but Paul talking about these busybodies, these people that are just in the way, that are nuisances. The uh, ESV study Bible says there's a word play in Greek here. They're not working. They're being a busybody. It's, it's, the, it's the same word, but just a little bit different. It, it's funny if you're, if you're a language person. If not, I'm not going to bore you with the details. Uh, those who were refusing to work, they were exploiting their free time to meddle in others' affairs. In 1 Timothy uh, 5.13, irreligious prying flows from idleness. Paul commands these people in verse 15, he said, or 12, sorry, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So these people that are in the way, he says, if you can recognize that you're the problem, move out of the way. He says, work quietly, 
Stop taking advantage of the church's resources. Stop blasting it in their faces and work quietly and live to the glory of Christ until you can do otherwise. And this is, this is the difficult part. As, as Paul encourages us in today's time to keep doing good, to keep doing right, to keep working to the glory of God, to help those brothers, to encourage those brothers that are taking advantage of the church's resources, that aren't doing what God has called them to do. God encourages us to do good, but to those people, he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That's hard. And in that verse 14, if he says, if anyone does not obey what we said in this letter, it extends far past this section of Scripture, far past what I have time here this morning to get to. But Paul, originally at the beginning of this book of 2 Thessalonians, we read about Paul correcting the Thessalonians' doctrine about Christ, about his return. So these people that were idle, they might have had this misconception about Christ and what he's done and and the issues that are at hand. But once they see that Christ hasn't come and that they should be expecting him to come back and they should be diligently working until then, well, maybe that'll correct, correct the problem. But then Paul calls them out explicitly. He says, if you continue to do this, you have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And he says to those that are doing good, that are doing the mission of God, that are doing the work, that are doing gospel work, those of us that are faithful members of the church, he says, have nothing to do with them, that they may be ashamed. When we set anybody up for, I say set anybody up, that sounds bad. When uh, we have anybody removed from the church membership because they are excommunicated when we ask somebody to step away from the body. It is never just to put somebody in their place and to say, shame on you, you're terrible. What we hope for is that they would see their sin, that they would repent of it, that they would be ashamed, but then they would come back to us. That they would see the error in their ways and that we lovingly would be able to accept them back with open arms. Because that's how God has treated us. Because every day we've chosen to be sinners, and yet God so loves us to give us another chance to have grace and mercy towards us, to love us, to forgive us, that we can be here week after week worshiping God. So that when somebody sins and errs to the point that we must remove them from the fellowship, that we ask them, that we warn them as a brother, that they would be ashamed, but then that they would come back that we would lovingly encourage them, correct them, tell them what the right thing is, how they are to live, how we too should be living, that how we too have been forgiven, how God has given us grace to live, to move on, how Christ's love and mercy is far more than we could ever need. When we warn people, we warn them as a brother. We love these people because God first loved us. Amen. And so at the uh, 
expense of possibly ending this on a pragmatic note, I, I was thinking about how to close this sermon because, as I'd mentioned prior, there are these people that they were believing wrong doctrine about Christ and that Paul corrects their way of living and says that they continue to persist in their errors then set them out of the fellowship. And there's this uh, idea of uh, circles of responsibility. It's the law of proximity. The closer you are to an issue, to a problem, the more responsibility that you might have in dealing with it. And so first and foremost, primarily it begins with you and your family. If that is not in order, you have a problem. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Verse 8, it'll be on the screens also. Paul writes, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Christians, our first duty is to our families. We are to provide for our families materially and spiritually. That looks different for father, mother, husband, wife. But your responsibility is to take care of them and to do good to them. To be a, a, a good father, a good husband, a good wife, a good mother. That is your first duty. If you don't get that right, the rest of this message makes no sense. If you do not provide for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. You must be diligent in your work so that you can provide for your family. You must do good work as a good example for your family. For God's called you to do that. Secondly, the next, imagine concentric circles, right? You've got boom, the center, us and our family. Then you go out a little bit bigger and you get another circle. You have the church. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 the Apostle writes, take better notes. That's what he writes. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is, oh, nope, that's 510. That's why I was confused. I was like, that's not right. Chapter 6, verse 10, I could have read it. It's on the screen, isn't it? All right, cool. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, Beyond your family, you have a responsibility for the membership of your church. You have a responsibility for your church family. When you see needs, when you see those hurting around you in your local church context, you should be a part of their lives. You should love them enough to help them out in their situation beyond your own family. You should take your resources, whether it's your time or your money, whatever you have to offer, do your best to help them. Help somebody that you see in need in this family because this is, this. I'll even talk about my own perspective. For a long few years, my dad didn't come to church with me. My family wasn't, my family kind of still isn't a Christian family. But being here, this was, this was my family. This is where I got fed. These are the people that I love. You guys are the people that I love. You guys are the people that I have the privilege to stand up in front of and you guys 
it means so much more to me than I can put into words. I love all of you so deeply. And I pray that this family would be as, as close to you as it is to my own heart. That when we have troubles, when we have issues with one another, that we would seek to reconcile those issues, that we would seek to help those in need that we see immediately around us, that we would seek to love those better tomorrow than we did the day before. That Sunday by Sunday that we would grow in the knowledge and the love for one another because we know that Jesus Christ has died for these people. At, as far as you're a member of this church, a regular attender of this church, I, I, I think, I assume that you are a Christian, that you are a believer, that Jesus has died for you. And we should have love for one another because we know that Christ died. He paid the ultimate price for those people. And lastly, our last circle of generosity, of responsibility, it would be those that are immediately around us, those in our neighborhoods, those in our community, those in our streets. When you see people begging, you see people sick and ill in your neighborhood, you have a, have a responsibility to those people because they're the, the closest to you when you see those issues. Now, this isn't to say that we at this church shouldn't be sending resources out overseas, that we shouldn't be sending out missionaries. That's far from the truth. God has called us to make disciples of all nations, right? But first and foremost, your responsibility is where you see the need directly in front of you. When you see people panhandling on the streets, it's easy to scoff. I know I do. I'll say that first and foremost. And there are other ways to, to help those people. You don't have to give those people money because if they're truly in need, hand them a bottle of water. I know uh, at the last church that I was at, we talked about how do we help those in need because we lived in Kansas City. So there's, uh, there's a lot of need in Kansas City. And a lot of guys at the church, what did they do? They kept bottles of water in the back of their truck, cases of bottles of water in the backs of their truck so that in case they saw anybody in need, they could do the, the easiest thing is give them a bottle of water. Right? It's simple, small things like that that if they're really not in need and they take a bottle of water from you, so what? Right? Our responsibility is to help those immediately in our most immediate circles. And when, when people within this church body are taking advantage of our church resources, we have to discipline them. They need to be aware of the issue at hand. And I mean, I can go on and on and on about this because there are a lot of people in this church that have been, that have been burnt. Uh, this church has been burnt by other people. And we should be slow to cut off the resources to people that are in need, but we should be discerning when we're giving out to people in this church that need it. We should be quick to recognize when we're being played for a fool, but we should be forgiving in that sense. When we warn people as brothers, we do it lovingly. And when we finally say we are not supporting your bad habits, your idleness any longer, it's because we love you and we want the best for you and this is not the best for you. And so this morning, I just pray that what you would take away is that in this church body, we are gospel-centered and that we do work for Christ. And when we don't work for Christ, he is not honored. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for life. God, we thank you for this, this church body. We thank you for this, 
this word, Lord, that while some of us might not uh, struggle with employment, with work, God, there are those that, that do. God, there are those that would take advantage of the generosity that you've called us to. And God, I pray that we would be uh, quick to give and, and slow to anger. God, we, uh, we are so fortunate here in the States to have more than what we need. God, I pray that it would be on our hearts to give graciously, charitably, freely to those that need it. And God, that we would uh, sacrifice, Lord, that we would work all for the glory of Christ. God, that we would provide for those that need it, that we would love our families, love our church. Father, may you be big and we be small, Lord. We love you in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Lane. If you would join us for this last song.